All I might welcome. Glad you guys are here. Uh, first time coming back over the last few weeks. We've been coming for the past three and a half years. Glad you guys are here. Uh, we started uh, a series actually at the beginning of the year called Be Generous. Uh, and it really is going to serve as a, a theme for us uh, throughout this year. And really the challenge was uh, be generous uh, with all of you all of the time with any and every resources uh, that God has entrusted to your care. And the heart was God's been really generous to us. Uh, so let's be generous uh, to those around us, just as God's been generous to us. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, you actually left here with money uh, because we passed out money. You either got a 5, a 10, a 20, or a 50, and some of you are here for the first time. You're like, wow, should have come two weeks ago. Um, but the challenge as we gave you money was just a, a tangible example or expression of everything that we have in our life is from God is a gift to us from God, and we are to be good stewards of that. And the challenge was, take your 5, your 10, your 20, or your 50, and just go be generous. Uh, and the white envelope that had the money uh, also had a card that you could give people, and it had an email address that was begenerous at genesisthejourney.com. And over the past uh, two weeks, it's been fun collecting different stories of folks who are actually emailing this and saying, hey, this is what happened. So uh, as those come in uh, throughout the year, I'm excited to share some of them. This is just one more story. Uh, this says, hello, my name is so-and-so. Uh, my next door neighbor blessed me today with a beautiful card and a generous gift of money to help me out. Uh, I was laid off work eight months ago, and it has been an incredible struggle. This morning, uh, when I checked my mail, I received a card and a gift. I am overwhelmed to say the least. I had been worried about how I was going to buy lunches uh, for the kids until I was able to start getting a check, but this was a great gift from God for sure. Uh, and she goes on to tell a little bit more detail um, about just how God used one simple gift uh, to remind her uh, that God will take care of her. And so uh, it's been really encouraging reading these stories and others uh, and just seeing what God would do with a community that said, let's be generous. Let's be generous all of the time with all of ourselves, um, with all the things that God has given us. So uh, whether you got a white envelope uh, or not, continue just to be generous. Be generous, and let's just see what God would do with a, a generous community. Uh, as Zach mentioned, uh, we are starting a brand new series uh, today uh, called 30 Years uh, That Changed the World. And uh, we're going to be in uh, the book of Acts uh, for the next year, and one of the uh, things that, or why we're calling this 30 Years That Changed the World is just simply because there was a group of men and women who decided to take Jesus seriously. Uh, when Jesus called these men and women, this was the, the mission that he gave them. It said, go and make disciples of all of the nations. The, the mission that Jesus gave in a small community of men and small community of women was, go change the world. Go change the world. Uh, and because these men and women, uh, a small group of men and women, decided to follow Jesus and make much of Jesus and be uh, good, faithful stewards of the mission, you and I are sitting here today because they were faithful with it. I read this quote last week, but uh, it's, it's worth reading again. It says this uh, from Michael Green, who wrote a book on Acts called 30 Years That Changed the World says this, three crucial decades in world history. That's all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, 
it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people and spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion presumed adherents today. It has had an indelible impact on civilization, civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. An amazing story of 30 years of a small group of men and women who just decided to follow Jesus and do what Jesus told them to do. And because they did, uh, the world forever changed. So a good question or a fair question is, why are we doing Acts? Uh, Of all the books of the Bible, why are we studying Acts? My simple short answer is just simply this. I believe God wants to use you and I uh, to radically impact, shape, influence uh, the world over these next 30 years. I believe God wants to use you. God wants to use all of us to have a profound impact on our world over these next 30 years. Now, I'm 70 in 30 years. I don't know how old you'll be. I have no idea where you will be 30 years from now. But one of the things that I've been really wrestling with, bless you, is what what stories do I want to be talking about and telling people 30 years from now? Do I really want my stories to be stories of how I just kind of hung on, how I managed life, how I survived life, how I just dealt with all of the things that life threw at me? Or do I want to be the guy that is telling story after story after story of what God did? Do I want my stories to be more man-centered of how I survived, or do I want my stories to be just God-centered of, man, can I tell you again one more time of this is what God did? This is what God did with me. This is how God worked in my life, and this is how I got to see, literally, God uh, change the lives of those around me. I literally, in 30 years, want to be telling stories that really are an answer to the question, what might God do in 30 years if we all chose to do what God told us to do? Like, I want to have an answer to that question of what would it look like if all of us today said, come in. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to be faithful with the mission of Jesus. And 30 years from now, we would have story after story after story of, you're not going to believe it, but God did this. This is um, another quote from Michael Green. He said this, if those first Christians could accomplish so much in so short a space of time with such skimpy resources... What might the worldwide church today accomplish if only it were prepared for the vision, the faith, and the dedication they exhibited? It's another way of saying these men and women didn't have much, but they changed the world. They had next to nothing in terms of the resources that you and I have at our disposal. So what might happen if we caught a vision to be faithful with the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. I I think up front, one of the obstacles I wanted to at least address, because anytime you hear someone trying to cast a big vision of, you can change the world and you can make a difference, generally speaking, our first thought, or we're tempted to think, no, I can't. I can't do anything. I'm a nobody. I can't possibly have an impact on anyone else's life, nonetheless, have an impact on anyone 
you know, the world around me, and we get hit with just these thoughts of doubt if I'm nobody, I can't do anything. And so if you're here today and you're, you're thinking 30 years, man, I just hope I make it 30 years, nonetheless have an impact to change the world over 30 years, well, I would say this, you're in a good place. It's a good thought to have that God can, you know, a good thought that you have that what could I possibly, a nobody do over 30 years? And I say that's a good place because God has a thing for using nobodies to accomplish great things for God. God literally uses nobodies to accomplish great things for him. And I know that because the book of Acts is a story of nobodies who changed the world because these nobodies knew somebody. And the somebody they knew used these nobodies to make a difference. So it really wasn't about the nobodies, but it was about the nobodies who actually knew somebody. There's a great verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and it just says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness that Peter and John, these were disciples, uh, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. This is a really nice way of saying these guys were nobodies, but these nobodies had been with somebody, and the somebody they were with made all the difference. So if you're thinking that you're a nobody, that's, that's okay. It's more of a question, do you know somebody? How many of you ever heard the, the, the poem uh, by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken? Pretty famous poem, and there's a famous line in this uh, story in the poem that says, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's a good poem. It's catchy. It's memorable. But it's not so much about taking the road less traveled that will make all of the difference, but it's really about who you will travel with that will make all of the difference. These nobodies decided to travel with somebody, and the somebody that they traveled with made all of the difference. The somebody that they chose to travel with actually used these nobodies to change the world. So it's a fair question and even appropriate question as we begin this journey. Maybe a hard question, but the question would simply be this. Are you following Jesus on the road you've chosen to walk? Or are you following Jesus on the road he's invited you to walk? There's a big difference. The difference is there's some who are walking down the road that they want to go down. They're living the life that they want to live, and they've invited Jesus to be a traveling companion, and they're hoping that Jesus will be a good traveling buddy, that Jesus will encourage them along the way, uh, that Jesus will maybe even help them along the way, that maybe Jesus will applaud them along the way. But it's still a road that you are going down, and you're just hoping Jesus will affirm you as you go down the road you want to go down. Then there are others who will say, Jesus, whatever road you want me to go down, you lead, I follow. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I will say. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give. Why? Because I'm not confused as to who the leader in this relationship is. I'm a follower. So Jesus, I want to follow you on the road that you want me to walk on. I'm not going to pick whatever road I feel like going down. You lead. And as we go through this story of Acts, 
what is so inspiring to me is a community of nobodies decided to follow down the road that Jesus led them to go. And because they were committed to going down that road as followers of Jesus, we are still sitting here 2,000 years later talking about the road less traveled because nobody's decided to travel with somebody. Now, as we go through this story of Acts, and we're going to be in it for a long time, I thought it would be appropriate to introduce you to the first nobody. We're going to meet a lot of nobodies along the way, but the first nobody I thought would be appropriate for you to get to know and become somewhat familiar with is the nobody who actually wrote the story of Acts, and his name was Luke. And interesting enough, for a guy who actually penned a third of the New Testament, uh, we don't know very much about Luke. Uh, and we, the reason we don't know much about Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, was volume one, and volume two is Acts. So it was a two-part story. But what's really interesting about Luke is he doesn't insert himself often at all in the story. And so we don't know much. But I wanted to share four things with you that really highlight this is the man that is going to literally walk us through the story of Acts. So number one, I encourage you to write these down. Number one is this. Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus, but a diligent researcher to the God-man Jesus. He was not an eyewitness to Jesus. He wasn't an early, he wasn't one of the 12, but he was a diligent researcher to the God-man Jesus. So as Luke starts his story in Luke chapter one, he says this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully, and I want you to catch this, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Let me ask you a question. Do you just embrace and accept what others say to you about God, about Jesus, or do you carefully, thoughtfully investigate what others have told you about Jesus? Is what you know about Jesus just what has been passed along to you and you've just accepted it and you haven't considered it? You haven't thoughtfully investigated, is this true? Or like Luke, are you one who thoughtfully, intentionally, and purposefully investigates what others have passed along. What I'm inspired by, by Luke is, I'm going to consider everything that has been said, everything that is known, and everything that was seen about Jesus. And Theophilus, I've gathered all of this information into what now is going to be recorded into a two-volume story, Luke and Acts. And I've done this so that you would know the truth. I hope one of the things that will encourage you about Luke is he was an investigator. And I would challenge each of you, don't just embrace something because I tell you, wrestle with it. Because when you come and make the conclusion after you've investigated and you have declared this is truth, it's the truth that will literally change and transform your life. So be an investigator. The second thing I would say that we learn about Luke is Luke was a faithful traveling and I highlight faithful, traveling companion for the Apostle Paul. Luke was a faithful traveling companion for the Apostle Paul. 
Simple verse here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, only Luke is with me. <laughs> only Luke is with me. This is coming from the Apostle Paul. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, man, he was a hardcore guy. And the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote was 2 Timothy. This is literally at the end of his life. So the last thing that we know of the Apostle Paul is in 2 Timothy. And what we know in the last chapter, in the closing verses, Paul says, Luke, he's with me. And throughout the story of Acts, you're going to see that one of Paul's traveling companions that stuck closer than anyone was this man, Luke. Let me ask you a question about what I learned about Luke being a faithful traveling companion. Does loyalty mean much to you? Meaning, is, is a person being loyal to you, is that something that you value? Is that something that you, you care about? Is someone's willingness or ability to stick with you regardless of what the cost or what the sacrifice to that person might be? Does that mean something to you when someone says, you know what, regardless of what this is going to mean for me, I'm with you. I think most of us say, I wish I could have someone in my life who was like that. But when I see Luke, I see a man in Luke is he was okay to literally play the role in helping another nobody accomplish the mission of changing the world. Generally, if we're honest, I think most of us are more concerned about um, self-preservation and self-promotion. Well, I'm not going to stick with them because if I stick with them, then it's going to hold me back. Or they're going to get in the way of ultimately what I want to do. But what I love about Luke is, Paul, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you until the very end. Because I'm okay to play the role of helping you to accomplish all that God would want to do with you and through you. Third thing that we learn about Luke is this. He's a doctor. Luke is a doctor. Colossians, uh, Paul says this of Luke. Luke, comma, the beloved doctor sends his greetings. Well, how did Paul know that Luke sent his greetings? Because he was sitting right there. He was traveling with Paul, but Paul identifies Luke was a doctor. Now, why does this matter? Who cares? Let me ask you, when, when, uh, when I say doctor, what are the things that kind of come to your mind? Like when you meet someone and you say, you know, I, I work at this place and you're like, oh, I'm a doctor. Isn't your first reaction like, oh, well, you're a doctor. Wow. Like there's a sense of awe. There's a sense of respect for his position or his profession. So when you think of doctor, it's usually a respected position. When you think of doctor, generally, they're a little bit probably more wealthy than the average guy. So a, a man or a woman who's serving as a doctor, when you think of them, well, it's a good chance that they've got a little bit more in their bank account than you do. And also, I think when I think of a doctor, I'm, I'm thinking of a guy or a girl who's just crazy busy. If you're a doctor, that's what kind of comes to my mind is a respected position. It's a well-paid position. And it's a position that has many, many, many responsibilities that keeps you busy, that keeps you at your practice, so to speak. Now, why, why does this matter? If that is true in the 21st century, I would tell you that is even more so true in the first century. So for Luke to be a doctor, it was an incredibly respected position. 
And he would be a man who would also be of great means. And also a man who was incredibly busy. So I share that with you just to ask the question, where in, in the world does this man have time to pen a third of the New Testament? Where did he get all of this time and months being a doctor to write Luke and Acts, which makes up a third? Where on earth did this man who is a doctor, respected, wealthy, and busy, find all this time to be a traveling companion with Paul on his missionary journeys? One of the things that I am inspired by and challenged by is Luke's profession did not hinder his ability to passionately pursue and follow Jesus. Where for many of us in our day and age, our profession drives everything we do. It drives who we are. And our desire to get more prizes in our, in our, in our profession drives us to get more busy and more busy and more busy, all trying to make sure that we continue to advance our profession. But what I love about Paul, or uh, I'm sorry, Luke, he was a doctor, but his profession did not hinder, it wasn't a distraction to him. So just be honest, is your profession, whatever your profession is, whether it's a student, a teacher, a doctor, Whatever your profession might be, is it actually a distraction to you? And is it the very thing that's driving you? Or is it your desire to passionately follow Jesus? Number four, last thing I'd share with you about Luke, um, is he was an investigator. Uh, Luke was a loyal, faithful traveling companion. Number three, he was a doctor. Number four, is Luke believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world? If you read Luke, his gospel, and as you read through Acts, you're going to meet a man who is just absolutely and utterly convinced that Jesus is the Savior. And because he believed Jesus is the Savior, it absolutely changed everything for him. It changed how he thought. It changed how he lived. It changed how he interacted with people because he was so convinced that Jesus was the Savior of the world. It drove everything in his life. Luke says in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek, records what Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He was so convinced that Jesus was the Savior. So I would just ask you, if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is the Savior, how is that knowledge, how is that truth that Jesus is the Savior, how is it shaping you? How is it impacting you, your conversations? How is it impacting your relationships? How is it impacting where you spend your time, where you give your resources? For, for Luke... He was so convinced that he was the Savior, and he gave everything in his life around this one truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I share these very few things with you about Luke so that you know the one who's going to be leading us, so to speak, through Acts is, is this incredible man, Luke. Absolutely incredible, investigator, loyal guy. He was a doctor, but his profession didn't hinder him from following Jesus and then the last one was, he really believed that Jesus was the Savior, and it just changed everything. Now, today, we're just going to look at uh, a few verses in chapter 1. But I felt compelled to challenge you with something, because if you've ever read through Acts, it's a really challenging book. It is really going to challenge you of, wow, 
God did all of that. Why isn't that my experience? It's going to be, it's going to push you. And so I wanted to uh, challenge you in three different ways as we begin this story. And I encourage you again to write this down. The first challenge I would give you is this, be open to establishing a new normal. Be open to establishing a new normal. Best question I could give you on this is, if someone asked you to describe what your relationship with God was like, if they just kind of asked you, what kind of experiences with God do you have? Like, what do you see God do with you or maybe around you? Would your answer to that question lead your listener to just to say, are you serious? You are seeing God do that? That is crazy. That is insane. That's not possible. Or is your answer to how you would, you know, to that question be like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's cute. I bet that's helpful or encouraging. Because if, as you read the story of Acts, one of the things that you will be challenged by is as the people are describing what they are seeing God do, you are left in a sense of awe and amazement. That is incredible. God did what? God led you to say what? And God led what happened there? That's absolutely insane. That's absolutely amazing. One of the things that you will see, and I'll forewarn you, is the main character in Acts is the Holy Spirit. And we will see the Spirit of God enabling, empowering, equipping, convicting, leading, guiding, healing, raising people from the dead, causing people to speak in all sorts of different tongues, which are not their own, and all sorts of amazing things. And what we often declare is, well, that's just kind of abnormal, was actually a lot closer to what normal was. See, in the first century, if you would have asked the, the first, first crew, the first Christians, hey, what's the Spirit of God like? They're like, I don't know. We're learning the Holy Spirit as we go. And they were seeing the Spirit of God, the power and presence of God do these amazing things. If I asked you, what do you think the Holy Spirit is like? Well, you already, if I just mentioned Holy Spirit, you've already got preconceived ideas and notions of what the Spirit of God can do and cannot do. You've already got the Spirit of God that says, well, I have a category that the Spirit can do this, but he can't do this. He can't act like this, but I guess he can act like that if he wants to. And what I would please encourage you is, number one, be open to establishing a new normal. See, my, my heart as we go through Acts is not to try to recreate what the Spirit of God did in Acts. And my aim and commitment is not going to be to limit what the Spirit of God can do or wants to do. My approach is simply going to be this. Spirit of God, would you just do whatever you want to do? And if what you want to do might look a lot different than what I've, my current experience has been, then I'm okay, to, I'm okay with that. Because I don't want to be the guy and I don't want to be part of the church that just boxes in the Spirit of God and says, well, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. Why? Well, because that's not normal. My challenge is, maybe our normal is actually abnormal. I quote C.S. Lewis a lot because I just I love the way his heart and mind think. And in a great book in Mere Christianity, he says this, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce a better man, uh, not, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching uh, a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. 
See, I, I don't believe that if you have a relationship with God, that God's desire and God's spirit at work in you is just to help you be a better person, to help you do a, a better version of your, of your old self before you met God. See, I really believe that the Spirit of God wants to help you fly. And I don't mean literally, but I, I literally mean that the Spirit of God, His power and His presence in your life, He wants to enable you to fly. But many of us don't want to fly because we don't have a category for flight. We have a category of it has to be like this. Be okay, as we walk through Acts, to have uh, a new normal established. And I'm excited to see what the Spirit of God might do with a community of men and women who said, we'd love to learn how to fly. We'd love to, to, to see and live what life looks like empowered by the Spirit of God in our midst. Uh, number two, so the challenge number one is be open to establish a new normal. Number two is simply this, pray alone, pray together, and pray often. We will be challenged by prayer in the book of Acts. These men and women, they just got together and they prayed. And they asked and they asked and they asked. They sat with God, they talked with God, they listened to God, they just prayed. Michael Green says it like this um, in his book, 30 Years That Changed the World. When the Christians pray, the Spirit comes. Prison doors open. The place of worship is shaken. They speak with boldness. The first Gentile mission was born in prayer. And we read of prayer in prison, prayer in the home, prayer on the beach, prayer in the temple. Prayer is the source of power. It's another way, when they, when they prayed, things happened. God responded. God moved in response to a group of nobodies who were praying because the somebody that loved them wanted to use them to change the world. And prayer was a crucial component of that. There's a few things that we want to do as we walk through this series and God willing, this is going to be something that's going to reshape how we do life and church together. Uh, the first thing is this. Um, we have a prayer room right next to our Welcome Center. Uh, we have a room that's just been established for a while. It's just our prayer room. People can go in there before service, during service, after service, and just have a time of prayer. But we've never really organized or called for people to be very intentional and purposeful in making use of that prayer room. And so starting next week, Sunday, February 10th, uh, what we are going to do, as long as we are in this series and hopefully beyond, is invite you to sign up for an hour chunk of time. Because our desire would be, uh, when this community gathers to make much of Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to talk about Jesus, that there would be at least one, if not more, in that prayer room praying that the Spirit of God would do whatever the Spirit of God would like to do when this community gathers. And so we need four people every Sunday who would be willing, say, from 8.30 to 9.30, 9 to 10, 9.30 to 10.30, 10.30 to 11.30, 11.30 to 12.30. So all of our services and all of the people that are going to be here would be completely covered in prayer. I was encouraged after first service, I already saw the list getting filled up with names of, of people who are going to be here next week and pray at 8.30 or 9.30 or 10.30 or 12.30. And if your thought is, well, I, I can't sign up for that because I'd miss church. Well, that is church. <laughs> that is church. So would you consider taking time on Sundays to pray, to pray for others, to pray that the Spirit would just be at work? Another thing that we're going to be doing, 
uh, is uh, the other elders have agreed that we are going to open up our homes on a monthly basis for just evenings of prayer, not just to socialize and have food and, and watch a football game and watch a movie and just kind of hang out. And that's good. There's a time for that. But what we've noticed is we've not been calling and inviting people to come into our homes for the sole purpose of praying. And so on the city's calendar, you're going to start to see, whether it's at my house, Zach's house, Paul's house, opportunities for you to come on a monthly basis just for the sole purpose of praying. And that's it. Not saying you got to come to all three every single month. Pick one of them and go. Pick the house that happens to be closest to your house. But the point is, let's get together as a community and pray and see what God might do. Now, we've been doing this for years and years and years, something called the well. And it's an evening of worship and prayer. And we do it the second Friday of every month. And would you know it, the second Friday of February is this coming Friday. So would you make it a priority that when we invite you to come as a community to pray, come. There's plenty of reasons why you can't come on a Friday night. But I can give you a list of new reasons why it would be important for you to make it a priority to come and to pray. So the challenge I'm giving you is pray alone, pray together, and pray often. And the third and last challenge I'd give you is simply this. So number one was be open to establishing your normal. Pray alone, pray together, pray often. And then the third challenge is this. Be in community, not just around community. See, this community is not just about attending an event and coming to this once in a while just to kind of get that spiritual shot in your arm. We're talking about having a community that that consists of nobodies, but nobodies who know somebody, and we believe that somebody named Jesus wants to do something with us and through us. So my challenge, my invitation would be, be in community, not just around it, not just talking about community, but be in community. One of the things that will challenge us to the core is that these people really cared deeply about one another. They were in each other's lives. Acts chapter 4 says it like this, all the believers were united in heart and mind. There was just something about these men and women that united them together. And it was the Spirit of God at work in their midst. They gave them a unique heart for one another. They cared about each other. They loved each other. So my invitation for you is the way that we are trying to do and form and live in community is not just encouraging you to come to an event on Sunday, but get yourself in community group. We're a community of about 225, give or take, adults. We have roughly right now about 145 men and women uh, who are engaged weekly in our community groups. And again, not just coming to another weekly meeting, but living in the context of community. Now, sometimes when I've told people, like, Michael, that's great. That's really encouraging. That's better than most churches. I'm like, well, I'm not comparing myself to most churches. I don't want to be most churches. I want to be a church of nobodies that knows somebody that wants to change the world. And I, I believe what Acts teaches us, what God invites us into, is being in community. God doesn't just use isolated individuals to do great things that change the world. He uses communities of people who are committed to one another and committed to him to do great things in changing the world. Joe Thorne in his um, book, Note to Self, said it like this, you simply cannot survive spiritually on a weekly worship service, podcast, and books. 
You need the community more than you probably realize. You can't make it alone, nor can anyone else. So if you're today and you're not in a community group, that's okay. But my challenge would simply be this. Don't stay in that place. Don't settle for just being around community. Challenge yourself and make it a priority to be in community. I realize that there might be some sacrifices you got to make. You might need to reorganize and re-figure out your schedule. But I can just tell you it's worth it. I love being in community. I love being around other men and women who challenge me, who love me, who serve, who inspire, who pray. And I love being able to do that for other people. Why? Because I can't do this life with Christ on my own. And as I read earlier in that quote, neither can you. So if you've got to rearrange something, rearrange it because it's worth it. God wants to use you to bless, to serve, to pray, to encourage, to inspire other people. And you can't do that just from a distance. So we need each other. And I see that in the book of Acts. They were committed to one another. And I see God used the one another to change the world. And I believe he'll do that with us. So be open to establishing new normal. Pray alone, pray together, pray often, and lastly, be in community, not just around community. That might be a a long introduction uh, to the book of Acts, uh, but I wanted you to get to know Luke. I wanted you to know a little bit more about this man and be challenged and inspired by who he was and how he lived. And I wanted you to be challenged with how this book of Acts is going to challenge you on day one. Really, I have three verses and I have one comment that I want to make on the opening verses of the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. I encourage you to write this down because it's the one thing um, that I believe will reshape our year. It's the one thing that I believe could reshape you. I want you to, let me read uh, just uh, the very first one, uh, uh, verse one in Acts, uh, says, in my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And when I see that, the thing that I want you to write down is Jesus is not done with any of us because Jesus is alive. See, Luke says, Theophilus, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. But Theophilus, he's not done. There's so much more that I'm going to now show you. And there's so much more and so many more stories I have to tell you about this Jesus. You see, Luke was just the beginning. And he says, I, I told you everything that he did. But then he just goes on and says, but he's not done. Jesus is not done with any of us because Jesus is alive. Did you notice what Luke said? He said, after the crucifixion, Jesus appeared to his disciples on many, many occasions. And he was trying to show them. He was trying to prove to them. He was trying to convince them that he was alive. Why would Jesus do that? 
Because Jesus knew that if these men and women were convinced that he was alive, that changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. If you really believe that Jesus is not just some dead religious figure, if you really believe that Jesus is not just some dead moral person, if you really believe that Jesus, well, he was a great teacher, but he's a dead teacher, if you really believe that Jesus is alive, which Luke believed that Jesus was alive, it changes everything. You see, these men and women, these early followers, disciples, were not following some dead guy. They didn't stake their life upon some good moral teaching, but of a guy who was dead. Luke says, Jesus appeared again and again and again, trying to convince them and show them. And what I love about what I learn about just these first few verses and what we know about the rest of the story of Acts is these men and women staked everything, their entire existence, on one simple truth. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, it changes everything. Clearly, I wouldn't know where every single person is here. But if there is any of you here that are just grown disenchanted, grown disheartened, grown discouraged, grown frustrated, started just to lose hope. I just wanted you to hear. He's not done with you. He's not done with us. And I can say that with full confidence, not even knowing you or your circumstance or your situation or how bad it might be. I can say with full confidence that Jesus is not done with you because Jesus is alive. And as long as you're alive, Jesus is going to continue to be at work in your life. And I am fully confident that Jesus wants to use this entire community of men and women to change our world. I could not say that if Jesus was dead. It would be silly to say, well, this really good moral teaching is going to change the world. Jesus is alive. And wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, whether good or bad or somewhere in between, no matter how hard it is right now, I just want you to know he's not done with you. He's not done with you. So maybe today for some of you will just be the start of a new journey. Because you will be willing to stake all of you, all of your life, everything on the one who's alive. And I would invite you to do that. Luke was convinced of it. These early men and women who followed Jesus were convinced that Jesus was alive. And that truth alone made the difference and they changed the world. If I never happen to see you again because you just choose not to come back, I'll miss you, but I want you to know this before you go. He's not done with you. But I would love to see what Jesus is going to do with you and through you. I would love to see what an entire community of men and women who are committed to a Jesus who is alive and well, what he would do with us if we would just follow. Follow together, follow in the context of community and change the world. Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks that you are good. Jesus, we give you thanks that uh, you are alive. Jesus, we give you thanks for this journey that uh, we begin today. Jesus, we give thanks for the men and the women who followed you, who were absolutely, utterly convinced that you are alive. 
Jesus, I give thanks for inspirational men like Luke who thoroughly and thoughtfully investigated these things. Jesus, I give thanks that he penned these stories so that all of us could be encouraged and challenged and blessed and inspired by you, Jesus, by your spirit and what you did and what you accomplished in 30 years. Jesus, if there's anyone here today that's uh, just tired, frustrated, discouraged, starting to lose hope, if there's anyone here today, Jesus, that's uh, believing a lie that you wouldn't want to use them to do much of anything, <coughs> Jesus, I pray that uh, right now, as in a way that only your spirit could do, you would speak to each of us to encourage, refresh, inspire, and bless. Jesus, I just pray that it would sink to the core of who we are, that you are not done with us. No matter how rough around the edges we are, no matter how hardened we've allowed ourselves to get, you're not done with us. Jesus, would you please take each one of us and form a community here that would so be desirous to see what you could do with us and through us. Would you change the world with us and through us? We're going to celebrate uh, communion today. And if you're a Christian, um, as you would come up uh, to celebrate, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or juice. And just before you would take communion, just pause and just say thank you. And specifically say thank you that you can even do something like this, a very sacred thing, a very symbolic thing, because Jesus is alive. Because if he wasn't, this is just a dead ritual. But because Jesus is alive... You are alive. So give thanks to Jesus for the life that he's given you. Give thanks that because of Christ, you got peace with God. All sins are forgiven. No matter where you are or what you've done, you're loved by God. So just, if you're a Christian, just pause before you take communion and just give thanks. And if you're not a Christian, meaning you haven't made the decision to start following Jesus, today's your day. Today is a day to say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to follow you. I want to be right with you. I want to be right with God. I want to be part of being used by you to change the world. I've asked some of our leaders up, uh, to be up in my left or right. Uh, if you've got something that's just is heavy on you that you would love for someone else to know about so they can be praying with you about, just step to the side and uh, pray with them. If you've got a question of even what does it really look like to become a Christian, come and pray uh, with them. But as you're ready, let's respond and worship through communion and prayer.